Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. About uh, 10 years ago, um, this friend of mine was walking with his wife through this parking lot, kind of this gravel parking lot, and they walked by just like maybe hundreds if not thousands of people had walked by before, uh, but this guy's a little observant, and he noticed something shiny and kind of standing out, so he, he went down and looked amongst the, the gravel, and he noticed a diamond, a two and a half carat diamond. Now, what's fascinating about that is that I mean, again, thousands of people just went by just thinking that is just yet another stone, and, but it was this valuable diamond. And I think the gospel is similar from a distance. It just seems like a lot of other things that it isn't. It could be covered up with religious ideology and uh, just makes it seem like it's another philosophy of ism. It's just, a, it's just another rock amongst another rocks, just another religion, a bunch of other religions. However, the gospel is this jewel. Uh, the gospel is this treasure beyond all treasures that we find our ultimate hope and peace and fulfillment in. And it has all these contours and beauty that has massive implications for our life. And every week, my hope is that the gospel is included in everything that we say. Um, but over the next few weeks, we want, I want to take dead aim at what the gospel is and how it makes a difference in our life. And this week, I want to talk about the fact that the gospel is not inform, it's not an information or it's not a religious system, but the gospel is news. It's not information on what we must do, but it's news about what Christ has done. And it's news that transforms our lives in the here and now as well as, as on in our eternity. And what I want to do today is I want to take a look at the news, how this news impacted the life, the life of an Ethiopian dignitary. This was the first African to be transformed by the gospel. We don't know his name, but we know he was a very powerful guy. He was a secretary treasurer uh, for this entire southern re region of Africa. You know, our, uh, e the Ethiopia today is a much smaller region, but this would have been just basically all of, of southern Africa, a much bigger uh, section. And on the outside, this guy had it all together. He had a really great job. 
but on the inside, he doesn't know God and he's searching. And I want to unpack this story uh, for you today. Um, And the question I have for you is, do you have a story like this? Have you met Jesus like this? We all have different stories, but if you've If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a story. See, before we meet Jesus, the Bible refers to us as, uses words like lost or alienated from God or without hope in the world is another phrase. But when we meet Jesus, uh, the Bible says that we are found, that we are reconciled and saved. And this is a story of what's called your conversion story or a testimony. And again, it's all different. We all have a different story uh, but we do have a story. A lot of times I ask people, do you know Jesus? You know, are you in a relationship with Jesus? Like, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be a Christian. Well, are you sure that you are? Well, a sort of, not totally. I just want you to know that God wants you to know that you're totally in this relationship with him. Just like if I was to ask you if you're married, are you, in a, are you married to your spouse? You wouldn't be like, well, sort of. I think so. T- kind of. Now, you would know. And if you didn't, you would be in a lot of trouble. Um, no. Everybody has a story. It's, and, and that's the thing about when we come in a relationship with God. And that's why I want to look at the story in, in Acts. And it may not be like this, but it, it'll, have, it'll have some similarities. Because, again, the gospel isn't turning over a new leaf. leaf. It's not this code of ethics that you must follow. It is news about a resurrected Savior who lived a life that you should have lived, and um, he came to this earth not to condemn you, but to save you, and he saves you by dying on a cross for your sins. So in this new life that he resurrected into that you share with him in a relationship with him. And upon hearing this news, you respond. You respond, yes, I believe. No, I don't believe. And so I want to talk about the story. Now, it's helpful to know in this story the context. So right now, this is... Uh, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch toward the end of Acts 8. In the beginning of Acts 8, we find that Philip is with this group of of Samaritans in the city of Samaritans. And it's just huge crowds. I mean, he's preaching the gospel to huge crowds. And hundreds and maybe thousands of people are coming to know the Lord. And inexplicably, though, the Holy Spirit says it's time to leave this. Now, if you are Philip and you're having just crazy success with large crowds of people and and, and the Holy Spirit says, now it's time to come and go somewhere else, you would be thinking, wow, this must be a bigger crowd, but not in a desert because that's where he takes him. He takes him to a desert. And up to this point in the history of the church, when the gospel was preached, it was always preached to crowds. Thousands of people would come, large crowds would come, and a large multitude heard and believed, and a large multitude over here. But here we see that God goes after one man, one individual. God loves, he wants a big family, and he's all about the crowds, but he also is about you. He wants you. He has a plan to seek you. I don't know if that speaks you or not, but he has a plan to seek you. Check out what it says in 2 Samuel. We all must die. We are like waters. Here's a... Uh, analogy for you. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. You ever spilled water on the ground? You can't, you can't gather. It's like in the it just soaks in the ground. That's what our lives are like. We will all die. We will be like water spilled on the ground with no hope 
of resuscitation except but God. Devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. I don't know if you've ever felt like an outcast or excluded. I just want you to know that God is after you. That he has plans. He's devised ways. He's devised many ways for people to come to know him. And that's one of the great news uh, about this story. It's one of the good news of the gospel is that even though sometimes people feel excluded and it gets that rap, the, go- the gospel teaches us that this is for all people. So if we just go down the list, who is this person that gets reached? Well, first of all, it's an Ethiopian eunuch, so he's a black African. Number two, he's a eunuch, which means he was castrated. And this was common and to be in the queen's court. They wanted to make sure you weren't up to any funny business. So you were castrated. That was the price of admission. I have one guy come up to me a few years ago. So I think like God's calling me to be a eunuch. I said, number one, I don't think you own a dictionary. Number two, no, he's not. And so, <laughs> so he's, he's a black African. He's a eunuch. Thirdly, he was more than, Ethiopia was more than a thousand miles away from, from Jerusalem. Uh, more, he was, the, Ethiopia was on the outskirts of the, the Roman Empire. And back then, anyone who was outside the Roman Empire was considered the, like the ends of the earth. Like they were like aliens and Martians. They, were, they called them barbarians. So here you have this guy who is racially different, socially economically different, culturally different, and sexually altered. The people in this story, Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, could not have been more different. Here you have Philip, this middle-class Jewish man. And by the way, you may not in this time period, Jewish um, men were told to not fellowship, participate, be in relationship with people who are different than them because it defiles them. And they had a list of people that they'd wake up every morning and say, thank you, God, that I am not one of these. And he would have been one of them. But the Spirit of God is devising ways for people to come and know him. And the Spirit is having to be so direct. God had to be so direct for this salvation to happen. I mean, in verse 26, an angel had to put Philip on the road. In verse 29, the Spirit tells him to go run up to this chariot. And he, you know, a thousand miles away. And invited. I mean, he had to use teleportation. I mean, he's like, all, this, the Spirit is having to work overtime to make sure that this, this was a very unlikely scenario. Just like for many of us here today, church is an unlikely scenario. Just, especially this church. Maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel racially different, culturally different, sexually different, religiously different. I just want you to know that God is after you. He is so after you. He wants you to know that you're not excluded. You're not as far off as you think. And if you feel that way, I just want you to prepare yourself. I want you to prepare for the narrative of your life to take a U-turn today, just like it did for this Ethiopian eunuch. I know sometimes we as Christians have not done very well at communicating the gospel. We've not done very well. We have made it seem like there's a type of person that God is after, but I need you to know that the Holy Spirit of God strongly desires for barriers to be broken down. He is a God who devises ways for people to come and know him. Again, that's one of the major themes of Acts. The Spirit having to come alongside and break down barriers, causing persecution because they were all huddled up in Jerusalem. 
And so to get them to get outside and tell other people, he brought persecution and people were scattered. That wasn't a mistake. It was the plan of God to move people out. And the gospel goes to Samaritans. It goes to the Gentile world. It goes to this Ethiopian eunuch. The Bible says that the spirit is grieved when, we're not, when we quench him, when we're not aligned with the spirit. And sometimes, for those of us who are Christians, sometimes we don't align our lives with the spirit. And we do exclude. And we do put up barriers. But the spirit of God is working and moving to break those down. It quenches the spirit when we exclude or even ignore People who are not like us are just people that are just, it's just outside of our comfort zone. I was having lunch with a dear brother, Kempton Turner. He's, uh, he's planted a church a couple years ago in East St. Louis, uh, which we all know the issues there. So I was like, man, what is it like? What's the hardest thing about being, being a church in the middle of that city? And he, says, and he said it without missing a beat, quenching the spirit. I was like, what do you mean? He said, it's not the murder. It's not the drugs. It's not the illiteracy. The most challenging aspect is the fight to be spirit-led. And he said this, and I'm quoting him now. The spirit is on the move in East St. Louis with or without me. There are days when I hear the spirit say, witness to that brother or to that house. My flesh says, another day or another way. Now imagine like a really cool, hip, black guy saying that and not, <laughs> and not me. All right? It has a little more rhyme to it. Another day in another way. I'm training myself and my church to be obedient to the Spirit. That is our biggest challenge. That's our biggest challenge, is obeying the Spirit. It's hard to follow the voice, the voice of the Spirit, because check out what the Spirit is telling Philip to do. I want you to run up to that racially different, sexually altered man that you would normally have nothing to do with, and I want you to tell him about me. That's the language of the Spirit. That's the trajectory of the Spirit. It's true then, and it's true today, which is also tells us that there's not a type of person that God is after. There's this thing out there, this um, belief that, 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 that Christianity is exclusive and narrow-minded, that what God is trying to do is, is exclusive and narrow-minded when it comes to to people. Here we see that the gospel starts with the Jews in the Middle East and it moves out to the Samaritans. It goes to the sexually, black, the sexually altered black African. In chapter 10, it moves to the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, Asia, Turkey. And what you'll hear in most universities is that all, reli- that all religion is, it's a product of its own culture. That all religion is a product of its own culture. And for the most part, that is true. 96% of all Muslims live where it originated in the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia regions. It's true for Buddhists, 88% live in East Asia. 98% of all Hindus live in India or South Asia. And for that matter, I don't have stats on this, but secular humanism is basically in America and Western Europe. But Christianity is absolutely different. You probably never heard this before, but 25% of all of global Christians live in Central South America and the Caribbean. 23% live in Africa, where the first church was started by this Ethiopian eunuch, according to the uh, historian Eubisus, shared he, the, 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 this eunuch shares the gospel. He becomes converted, as we hear in the story. He shares the gospel with this, these servants, and, and along with him and these servants, he doesn't go back 
and do his job, but he plants the first church in Africa where the gospel is still spreading today rapidly. 40% of global Christians live in Asia, and that's growing rapidly as well. 11%, just 11% of the global population of Christians live in the United States. And check this out. Less than 1% of the global population of Christians live in its Middle Eastern origins. Christianity is not a Western religion. It came from the Middle East. Christians are the ultimate, they are the opposite of what you see in any other ism, including secular humanism that just suits the needs of its own culture. This started in the Middle East. It started in Jerusalem, and it moved out to the Samaritans, and it moved out to Africa, and it moved out to the Greeks and to the Romans. And now we're in on this. Christianity, if you look at the empirical data, by far in the way is the most inclusive of people groups than any other philosophy or ism in the face of the earth. Because here's why. It's not because Christians are awesome and enlightened and inclusive because we're often we're not. Christians um, can do some pretty bad things too. But here's what's true. The spirit of the living God is on the move and is working in our world, just like my brother Kempton Turner said. The Holy Spirit is at work whether we're with him or not. And sometimes he has to go to great measures. Sometimes he has to teleport us to get us where we need to be. Sometimes he has to bring persecution. Sometimes he has to change the circumstances so that we do what the Holy Spirit wants to do, which is he wants to go to all different kinds of people. And I'm here to say, you just might be one of them. So what is this gospel message? Well, in verse 32, it says this. Now, the passage of the scripture that the eunuch was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers, or murderers, is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Now, this is a quote from Isaiah 53, which was written about 800 years before the time of Christ. Isaiah prophesied that that the Messiah would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. He would be wrongfully accused of crimes he did not commit, but he would not open his mouth. Now, this would become true. Uh, Jesus would be wrongfully accused. He would be brought before Pilate, and he would be accused of heinous crimes he had not done. But he sat there silent, even even though he was completely innocent of all of that. Now, if I was in his situation, even if I went along with being crucified, which is, of course, a massive if, um, I would say, hey, you know what? You just got to know something. I'll I'll do what you need me to do, but I, I didn't do it. I'm innocent. But he did not open his mouth. Now, why did he not open? This is a, this is a very important question, by the way. Why did he not open his mouth and defend himself? When you are in a court of law and you are being accused of something and the lawyer or the judge says, why did you do this? What did you do? And you do not talk. What are you conceding? Guilt. You are conceding guilt. 
Jesus was conceding guilt, but not his own guilt, as he had no guilt. He lived a perfect life. He stood silent because he was consenting to my guilt and to your guilt. You see, behind uh, the accusations of Pilate and the Jewish leaders is he saw God the Father pointing the finger at him for your sin and for my sin, accusing him, and Jesus kept his mouth shut because he was going to be beaten and punished and put through hell for our sin. Here's the gospel in four words. Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. The gospel is that simple. That is the news. Jesus in my place. Uh, Theologians call this substitutionary atonement, that he lived the life that I was supposed to live, and he died the death that I was condemned to die. He gets my death, I get his life. Jesus in my place. The gospel declares to you that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you. The gospel is not instructions on how to live a better life. The gospel is not good advice. It is good news. And so let's continue in the story. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. This is all about what he's done. Religion is spelled D-O, do. If you do these things, then you will be accepted by God. The gospel is spelled D-O-N-E, what Christ has done. You are accepted for what he's done on your behalf. The message that we preach is so simple because it's what he's done. And our worship, by the way, if you want to know our philosophy, is so intense because of what he has done. We're not coming here every week celebrating the fact that we're good people and we've done some good things and we figured a few things out and we know our Bible and I don't know why everyone else doesn't believe like we believe. That's not very exciting. Actually, it's kind of pathetic. The reason why our worship is so intense is because we can feel ourselves standing before Jesus knowing that we are the ones who are guilty, that he kept quiet because he was admitting our guilt, not his guilt. And he died in our place, and that causes us to be humble and reverent and, oh my goodness, and it causes us to be worshipful and serve and give and, and exclaim and be intense about what we say about him and, what, and how we live for him and by him and through him. It's because of what he's done. Do you know Jesus, do you have a story of when you heard this good news and your response wasn't, okay, I better get busy if this is what I'm supposed to do now. But your response is, oh my gosh, I have sinned. And Jesus bore my guilt for me. And upon hearing that news, did it humble you to surrender, to bow the knee, say, I receive what he's done for me. Have you had that moment? Do you know him? God is not after crowds this morning. He's after you. In this story, he was after just 
one man. One man. All of this was for one man. One man who thought he was excluded. For those of us in the Bible reading plan, we're getting into like the graveyard of all Bible readings plan, otherwise known as Leviticus. And if you're, if you're one of those who doesn't just skip it and just click the checkbox anyway, you will find out that there are some, some things that you do and don't do that, that temporarily exclude you from the presence of God, from the temple of God, that you need to kill a lamb to get back into the good graces. There's a few things, though, that you could do to be permanently excluded. Being a eunuch was one of them. This guy knew he was permanently banished. I mean, he's figuratively, he's, he's living on the outskirts of society. And he knows that spiritually he's living on the outskirts of a relationship permanently excluded from the presence of God, just like you and I have been permanently excluded from the presence of God. But Jesus Christ suffered and died on a cross for you and for me. To the lepers, he became a leper. To the outcast, he became an outcast. To the eunuchs, he became a eunuch. And he took the guilt of us all. We deserve judgment. We deserve to go outside and be cast out. But he went out so that we can be brought near. But here's the thing. You have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. The gospel is not good advice. It's not instruction. It's good news. It's news that you believe in and respond to. Just like, you know, did we go to the moon or did we not go to the moon? Is the world flat or is it round? There's news. There's, there's, in, there's news of an event. The, the death of Jesus happened outside of us in history 2,000 years ago. The, the reason that Jesus said in the, in the history that we have written through the scriptures is that he died for you. That is the meaning of his death. That is the implication of this news. And you have to make a decision. Do I believe that news or do I not believe that news? Being sincere is not enough. Some people believe it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere and searching. As long as you're sincere about whatever you believe. Hey, this Ethiopian eunuch was sincere. This guy, he goes, first of all, he goes a thousand miles from his home, right? I, I drove a thousand miles once about six years ago in my van to Yellowstone Park, like where the Griswolds, and it took us two days to get there, and it was brutal drive because you go through some of the most boring parts of our country. But I was in a van going 70 miles an hour or, or more, and we, <laughs> in an in air conditioning, this, this guy was not, this guy was in a chariot, which pro wasn't, don't think like a little U-shaped thing, a guy hitting a horse. This, he's probably in a, in a carriage that other guys are carrying on their backs, a thousand miles in the desert near the equator. This guy was sincere. He risked his life. This is dangerous travel. Um, you know, how long do you think it would take to walk 1,000 miles there and 1,000 miles back? At, at least a year. How many of you can leave your job for a year and expect to have it when you get back? This guy was castrated for this job, and he risked that. This guy was sincere, but it wasn't enough. 
He didn't go, a thousand miles was not far enough. He needed to go farther. And here's what, he could have never gone far enough to search. Just like you. Maybe you think of yourself as a good person. You can never be good enough. You can never be charitable enough. You can never be sincere enough. And here's the good news. To Jesus Christ, you don't have to be because he was. And that's the good news of the gospel, is what he has done on our behalf. But you have to make a, a decision, just like this eunuch made a decision. And just like my friend and, and member here, Dwight Pittman, made that decision, I want to show you his story, and then I'm going to give you the opportunity to do the same thing. Can we show his story? I remember as a child of crying myself to sleep that didn't nobody love me. At age 12, I ran away from home. I started selling my body at a young age to survive out on the streets and finding places to stay. I was the alcoholic. I was the one who woke up and had to have a drink to get up, had to have a drink to go to sleep. I did not have a relationship with my kids. Alcohol and the drugs was more important to me than them. I shoot coke, I smoke it, and see my heart beating fast, and hear the bells in my ear ringing, and hoping, come on, this gonna be it, this gonna be the one that's gonna bust it. I wanted to die, I didn't have no reason for living. Pittman, 173363. On this date, August the 23rd, 2004, I was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And the ride up in that Latunda where they take you in that, and them doors slam behind you. And it's a big old sign up there that say, leave all your hopes and dreams behind. So I said, Man, okay, the joke is over. You can take me back to the county. Like, you can't leave me here. I was um, in the cell crying, tears running down my face, feeling lonely, like an outcast. I looked in the mirror and uh, just asked myself, who are you? It was, didn't, I didn't like what I seen at all. The person I seen there, that, that wasn't me and I knew it was time for a change. I was going back and forth to some of the uh, church services that we had going on. The preacher who had came out there, he was saying, uh, do it for 30 days, try Jesus for 30 days and see how it be. So as time, more and more time go on, I'm like, I got to turn to him. I didn't try to everything else. I'm going to try him. I've started learning about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. It's overwhelming what he had do, with the things that he had done for me, the unconditional love, his grace, his mercy, that he has died for, on the cross for my sins, that he loved me, that I had somebody that was there that would never leave me. When nobody else would write me or accept phone calls, I can always call on him feel his presence, feel his peace in the room. So at that point, I decided to start praying and ask Jesus to come into my life. Now I know who I am, and as a child of God, 
a heir to Jesus, a prince. <laughs> the awesome thing is that that story is not over. Um, in fact, um, we're going to show the rest. There's another part of his story that we're going to show next week when we talk about gospel activism, about what God is doing in his life now. And, uh, you know, I drive back and forth on Sunday mornings be- to go preach at our different locations. And uh, he, he's been riding with me and just he's telling me the story of, like, what God has been doing in his life and the dreams that he has for the future is awesome. So there's going to be more of that next week. Here's my question, though, for you, though, is are you ready to decide? Are you ready to make that decision? Are you ready to say, you know what, I've tried other things. I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. But it's not working. It's not working. Are you ready to surrender to him? You have to make that decision. I'm going to receive this good news. And if that's you, here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in a prayer to make that decision. So here's, can we all just close our eyes and bow our heads? It's not a time to, to get your stuff ready to go. There's, there's a little bit more to what I have to say. But I want to give people an opportunity right now to respond. this is you, you could say this prayer in your heart. Jesus, you found me. You got me. I've been running. I've been hiding in religion, in my good works, in alcohol, in my job. You got me. I surrender to you. I believe that you, when you died, you died for me. You died for my guilt, my shame, my sin. And that death paid the price in full. And because you rose to new life, I can live a new life with you now and for eternity. I receive this gift and give me the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that directed Philip, that directed the eunuch, that directed Dwight. Give me the Spirit to direct me in this new life. Thank you for doing this. Amen. If you said that prayer, there's a couple things that I would like you to do. One is I'd, I'd love for you to take that card, and I would just love for you to mark that, and just so that someone can follow up with you. Um, you may not realize it or not, but you, in, in, in siding with him by believing in him, that you, you, we have an enemy, and um, he'll want to come and, tell you all kinds of lies like he's already told you lies and you need people to come around you but there's another thing that happens when you become a Christian I'm going to tell you the rest of the story and as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what prevents me from being baptized and apparently nothing because Philip commanded the chariot to stop and they went both down into the water and Philip and the eunuch 
and he baptized him. As soon as he believed, and after he believed, he was baptized. And my question for you is, or my step for you, if you've believed, if you were one of those who said, yes, today, today I am taking, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving this news, I'm, I'm trusting in him, I'm going to go after him, your first step of obedience is baptism. Now, some of you be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, are we skipping a few steps here? Is there supposed to be some ceremony, some classes, maybe like three years of probation to make sure like everything is all right? No. In the book of Acts, in the, in the, in the story of, of, of the script, baptism always and immediately follows conversion. Let me just tell you a few examples. In Acts 2.38, Peter preached, repent and be baptized, every one of you. There was 3,000 every one of yous, and they were all baptized that day. Acts 8, Philip preached in Samaria, and a bunch of Samaritans believed, and they were baptized immediately. This happened to Paul in Acts 9. It happened to Cornelius in Acts 10. It happened to Lydia in Acts 16. It happened to a Philippian jailer in Acts 16 as well. He, was, he believed at midnight, and before the sun rose, him and his family were baptized. And then you go on and on and on and on. Here's the point. The point is the first evidence that we have believed this message is that we are baptized. We are baptized with water. Just like, you know, it says here that, that Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Later you read that they came up out of the water. When you go down into the water, you're stating, I have died with Christ, and now I'm being, my old life is being buried with Christ. My old life has nothing to do with me anymore. This life of sin, it's buried six feet under. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You come up out of the water. This new life, I'm raised with Christ. Just as Christ rose from the dead, he didn't stay dead. He rose to new life. I, in, inside of spiritually, I've risen to new life. And baptism is the first evidence that we have surrendered to Christ's lordship. Now, I, I hear people, I mean, don't say this, these words exactly, but essentially to me, well, I, you know, like I'm not one of those Christians. I'm, I'm not one of those Christians who've been baptized. You know, there are Christians that get baptized and Christians who don't. Uh, there are only Christians who get baptized. There are only people who say, I'm going to follow him. I want to, be, I want to be baptized. You see, when Jesus told us, when he told his disciples through what's called the great commandment in Matthew 28, he said, go into all the world and make disciples and then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then teach them. So go make disciples Step one. Step two, right after that, mark them as disciples. And then step three, then you mature them. That's what the church is about. That's what we're all here for. Well, what if it doesn't work? Yeah, sometimes in the, you read in the Bible, sometimes the apostles baptize people who didn't work out. We, don't, we, can't, we can't dictate who believes and who doesn't, but you come and say, I've been, I believe in Jesus. We want to baptize you. And that's something that needs to happen right away. Some of you say, well, I was baptized as a baby. And I know there are a lot of, you know, this is a big issue, but and with all due respect, baptism in the Bible is presented as a profession of your own faith. If you were baptized as a baby, that was a profession of your parents' faith. And thank God for that faith. But now it's time to ratify your decision and declare your own faith in Jesus. And then you'll have the great news of calling up your parents and saying, hey, your faith worked. That, that faith that you had that one day I it worked and I do believe and the gospel has transformed my life and now 
I'm being baptized. And you can invite them to celebrate your story, your baptism. So you, maybe today was the first time that you've actually entered into this relationship. You entered into religion or what you thought was a relationship, but it ended up just being, but you've entered into the relationship today. I'm hearing the news. I want to respond to the news. I want to invite you to be baptized. And just if you can make that decision, you get on the card, you can say, I want to be baptized. Or maybe it's, you've been a Christian for three years or however long it's been, and you've not yet been baptized as a believer. I want to, I want to strongly charge you to be baptized as a profession of your own faith. The eunuchs say, what prevents me from being baptized? In their story, nothing, because they had water. In our story today, it's not, we don't, it can't happen today, but we want it to happen as soon as we possibly can. So if you would make that decision today, that's your next step. The gospel is not good information. It's not good advice. It's good news. Let's pray when we stand.